John chapter 6 with me. Uh, my name is Jordan. If I haven't met you yet, I am the pastor here, and we want to welcome you. Am I on? Am I good? Okay. Um, man, if you are visiting with us, if it's your first time, you're coming at a unique uh, time, I, I will be honest with you. Uh, so last week, many, many of you know, most of you probably know at this point that uh, I announced to our members here at The Journey that um, at the end of the year, uh, I will be transitioning out of my role as pastor, um, not out of the church, not out of the area, but, um, and not even out of ministry, but into a different ministry role as I've accepted a position full-time with the Restore Network as their executive director. And so in January, I'll be taking that role full-time, and so I will be um, transitioning just to a different seat here and into a different seat in ministry. Um, and so... Um, that was announced last week, and so, I, you know, we have some time, and it's not, it's not like, you know, I'm done next week, but I, nonetheless, I want to, you know, acknowledge that just a bit, and let God's Word, and, and then my own heart, speak to you all just a bit um, this morning. I want you to know a couple things as, as we just kind of, uh, we are going to go to John 6, and there's some pretty particular relevance and poignancy to this text, uh, to our situation as a church, and so we're going to go there in just a moment. Uh, I do want you to know, though, that, man, pastoring here at The Journey is, is like my pleasure. It was my dream job and still is in so many ways. If God hadn't changed my passion and my calling, um, this would not be happening. I was not looking for a different job. I, I did not have any resumes out. I, that was not the, the case. I was, I'm not leaving because of anything negative here or anything negative in my life. Um, this is simply um, a calling shift and um, a calling away into a different season to serve the church and to serve a particular vulnerable demographic in a different way. And so I'm excited about that work. I really am. I'm excited about uh, our future uh, as a family. I, I'm excited, but nonetheless, I am also grieving and I am I'm sad to, to be uh, stepping out of this role because I do love this church. I love preaching the word to you and... Um, and so I just want you to know that. I was, wasn't planning to leave. Proof in that, Mark Hickey uh, come to me this morning and was like, hey, I listened to something funny this week. I started listening to the John series again and uh, started over. And he was like, when you started this thing, you said this book will probably take you until you retire until you, or until you leave. And he's like, so I don't, you know, I don't know what that's about. So there's proof I wasn't planning for this because I will not make it uh, through John by the end of the year. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to miss this, this part. I want you to know also that uh, during these five and a half months, we, um, we as elders, we as a church, like we are going to be doing two things. One is, is actively searching for um, the next lead pastor and going through processes to, to identify that. You all will be a part of those processes. So we will do the front end um, reviewing and, and bringing people uh, you know, into this space. But before we make those decisions, you all will, be, will get a chance to meet any particular candidate and, and speak into that process. And we will invite and solicit feedback from you. So I just want you to know that. Uh, that elders are, are committed to continuing on the values that we all know and love here at The Journey of just, um, you know, authentic relation, like gospel-driven relationships with Jesus, with one another, and with our community. And so we don't plan to, to shift away from that. We know that it, it will be different, but nonetheless, we plan to hold those values uh, in a closed hand as we pursue the next um, season of, of leadership here at The Journey. And so we're going to be doing that actively over the next five and a half months. And then we will also uh, just at the same time be making a plan for an interim in the case that perhaps that, that uh, next pastor hasn't been identified and in place by January, that we will have a plan uh, in place for the church to continue operating and going smoothly. And so part of that plan, Chad will be taking some increased responsibilities. He'll be teaching, preaching just a bit more as we transition toward that day. And so just know that that's, that's kind of how we're operating. If you have questions about the specifics or uh, particular things, like we want to hear from you. We are not scared. Uh, I say we, talking about the elders, like we're not scared to have any of those conversations with you. We want to, to walk this out together as a body. And so um, I want to go to John 6, and I want to let it kind of plunge us into this particular confrontation that Jesus is having with people who, who pursue him or look at him with the wrong objective, the wrong um, goal and hope and substance in mind. And I think there is some particular relevance to our moment as a church 
uh, from this text. And then we will end with 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just reading that and letting that be an encouragement to us as we as a church body um, look ahead to this next season and, and wrestle through change, wrestle through leadership change and, and those things because it is significant and it is, uh, anytime there's change like this, it, it can be just kind of dysregulating and, and um, you know, there, there's, I, I'm glad y'all showed up. Like I looked around uh, with first song started, I was like, I guess I already ran everybody off. Like, I guess everybody's just done. Uh, and then the rest of you came. So I, you're late. That's okay. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I was a little worried for a moment. But um, we, we want to let this, this uh, lead us there. So let's go to John chapter 6, and then we'll end with 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, and then we will come back. We will remain in John chapter 6 next week. Um, and we will cover, actually for the next couple weeks, but there, there is a significant discourse and teaching and theological teaching coming uh, from Jesus about um, the bread uh, the, from the meal that he fed the 5,000 with and his body. And so there is some theology coming. We're going to uh, just dip our toe into that today and, and, and uh, kind of stay with some initial uh, promptings from this and let it um, lead us to kind of examine what does Jesus have for us in this moment, and then we were going to get into that theology a bit deeper over the next week or two. So let's read uh, John chapter 6, verse 22 through 34 uh, today. So turn there with me. It's on page 891 of the Bibles in the seat backs. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for that to be uh, your Bible. So take it as a gift. Uh, turn there with me, and let's read John 6, starting in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but the disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So first thing that we're going to see, Jesus is going to call this crowd out. So if, if you haven't been walking with us, the context of this is, is following two of Jesus' most famous miracles where he feeds the, the 5,000, which we know was likely more like fifteen to 20,000 people because the 5,000 was just identifying men. So he feeds them with, a few, with five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Feeds them so much so that everybody gets to eat what they want to the full, not like sparing you know, rations, but eat all that you want, and then we're going to collect the leftovers, and there's 12 baskets of leftovers left, signifying just the incredible generosity of our God, and for his disciples, a specific provision where he says to, me, says to them, hey, look, there's a basket for each of you. As you give yourself in ministry, as you pour yourself out for my name's sake, know that I've got you that I'm always enough for you, that I will never run out of provision and grace for you. And so this is that miracle. And then Jesus perceives that they're about to, they're about to like make a military movement here and try to make him king and overthrow Rome and, and because it's a huge crowd. And they're like, man, if we have this many people ready for action, we can make a move on Rome. And so, let's, let's, and so Jesus goes, no, no, that's, that's not what I'm here for. So he slips away, and he goes up the mountain. He tells his disciples to go on across the lake. They all get in the boat, and they, you know, they go without him. And Jesus 
uh, comes later in the middle of the night, like after they've rowed into the middle of the lake and it, there's a storm and they see Jesus walking on water. Uh, and it's this incredible moment. Jesus doesn't do this for show. He doesn't make sure everybody can see. He doesn't wait for the day- daylight. He's again doing this for his disciples. Um, and this is the context that we find ourselves in. So, so you see in verse 22, the next day, the crowd's still there on the other side of the lake. And they start to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Verse 22, they see that there'd only been one boat there. Right? They're like, okay, earlier, like Jesus was teaching, we were all here. There, there was just one boat. And we saw all Jesus' disciples get in the boat, but Jesus didn't. And so they're like, I, I don't know where he is, but he's not here. So he must have taken another boat. He must have got on the other side. So they get in boats, um, and they head across um, the lake. And the crowd, um, verse 24, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into boats, and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So went, And they found him. So they're, so they're like, okay, where'd he go? This guy was awesome. We got to like we got to keep up with this, this the show. This guy we got to we got to follow this. So they find him. They get to the other side of the sea and they're like, "Hey, Rabbi, like, how'd you get here?" And it's an, like, I'm smirking. Like, this is an awesome scene. I you you need to feel this moment for these people. Like, again, no one else saw him except the disciples walking on water. But yet these guys are like, "How did you get here?" Like, don't you think there was some, like, giggling and smirking and laughing and, and nudging going on from the disciples and even Jesus? But, but Jesus doesn't even address it. He doesn't say, well, actually, why, why don't you ask one of my boys? They got something to tell you. Like, I would have been, like, as soon as the people were getting on the shore, I'd have been like, y'all got to know what Jesus did. Like, it was awesome, right? I'd be telling everybody I could. Jesus goes right at them. Right at them. Okay? What you're going to see over and over again, Jesus is not in it for crowds. He's a terrible church planner. He's just not interested in leveraging the interest of these crowds. Okay? They're there, and they're like, whoa, how'd you get here? And instead of telling him, them about the, you know, this awesome walking on water skill that he's got, he just confronts them. Like, confronts them. We don't like this in our culture. We don't like, people don't like to be confronted anymore, do they? I don't know if they ever did, but it's like a whole next level now, right? We don't confront, we cancel people that confront people, right? Like we got some, we got some, some we don't like what certain people say certain things. If it offends us, then we'll cancel them, we'll, we'll cut whatever. But Jesus is going to confront people. Like he comes right at them. Like these are people following him or, you know, at least following him for the, the, the show. They're here wanting to hear him, see him, and he speaks to them in a way that frankly would be offensive to most. What does he say? Verse 26, just right after that question, Rabbi, when, when did you come here? Jesus answered, here's the truth, right? Truly, truly, amen, amen. Like this is verily, verily, like, Here's the truth. I'm going to call it like I'm seeing it. I'm going to tell you what is true. He says, here's the deal. You're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, what's that about, Jesus? Is Jesus grumpy? Tried to take a nap. They confronted him. They, you know, they kept him up. Is Jesus a little, a little grumpy, like a little edgy? No. But there's, remember, Jesus is full of both what? Grace and truth. So he's going to speak truth to this crowd, to these people. He's going to call them out. And in fact, it's that very word crowd that we see in verse 22 that is our first sign I want us to think about. As Jesus, in this story, we're going to see that there is a distinction between the crowds that followed Jesus and his disciples. There's a difference between being a fan of Jesus, being a fan of what he does, what he can do for you, what church is, what Christianity is. There's a difference between being a fan and in the crowd that would identify as interested in Jesus or, you know, whatever, you know, affiliated with Jesus. There's a difference between that 
and being a disciple. We see this over and over again. We see that in John chapter 1, uh, he told us that he comes to his own, but his own doesn't receive, they don't receive him. But to all who do, he gives the right to become children of God. And so we see this play out. John called that, told us that's how this book is going to go in the prologue. You're going to see Jesus coming to his own people, there to do the work that God promised he would do, and they don't receive him. And this is exactly what we see happening over and over again. Jesus has crowds that are gathering, but he doesn't entrust himself to him. Why? Because he knows that they're there for the show. They're there from a consumeristic standpoint, not from a disciple standpoint, not from a following standpoint. So I want you to see these, the actions of these crowds differently. I want you to think about the crowd and what we just, I just reviewed from what we looked at last week, where Jesus says uh, in verse 15 of chapter 6, Jesus perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force, and make him king, he withdraws, okay? So this is what a crowd does. A crowd is going to come to Jesus and try to take from Jesus and take Jesus to get Jesus to do what they want done. That's what a crowd does. They're here to consume. They're here to to, uh, leech off of, to benefit personally. Ooh, I like what that guy can do. Let me see if I can leverage that for my own story. Oh, I like that Jesus has power over this. I like that Jesus can lead a mob of people. Let me see if I can use that to accomplish my goals. A crowd comes at Jesus and tries to take him to do what they want done. This is a crowd. This is the people that approach Jesus hoping that because of his power, because of his love, because of the stories, that they can get Jesus to do their bidding and to accomplish their will. This is, this is the crowd perspective. Now, how's that different than a disciple's perspective? Uh, I put a passage in there from Matthew chapter 4, Sean, to, to, to just show us uh, this is recorded a couple different times as Jesus approaches his disciples. I want you to see how they respond to Jesus. Instead of coming to him to try to get him to go and do what they want to do, listen to how a disciple, somebody who's born again, somebody who gets uh, a, a total like awakening in their soul, the scales fall off their eyes and they see Jesus for who he is. This is how they respond. And this is Matthew chapter 4. It's also in Luke or it's, it's also at least in Mark, might be in Luke too. Um, it says this, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What do they do? Immediately, they leave their nets and follow him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them, And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. They followed him. You see there's a difference between the fanship, the the fan base of Jesus, and those who are given over to absolute new birth, absolute new values, absolute awe of who Jesus is. Instead of saying, oh, maybe I can add some Jesus to my life and he'll make it better. He'll help me accomplish my goals. What we see is that when we truly see Jesus for who he is, we're not trying to add him to our life at all. We're we're absolutely letting go of everything else in our life in order to get Jesus. See, this is, uh, Jesus is going to have these parables uh, where he's going to unpack this for us and talk about how we're supposed to, like, in order to truly find life, we have to lay down our life. And truly, in order to truly find joy in life, we've got to take up a cross. A cross equals suffering, but if you want joy, you've got to be willing to go there. He's going to say, people who find the kingdom of God and the, the gift that God has given, they will absolutely give up everything else in order to have that. He tells these stories about guys finding treasures in field and going and covering it back up and selling everything they have so they can can buy that field ultimately so they can have that treasure, right? Over and over again, Jesus is trying to get us to see that he is not a, a, an accessory that can make your life better, but rather he is the center of the universe. He is the source of life that we orient around. When we see that, we are moved from crowd 
the disciple. And you'll see a difference. As this chapter goes on, Jesus is going to keep talking to the point that almost everybody leaves him. And then he's going to look at his disciples and say, y'all want to go too? Are we done here? From 20,000-ish, at least 5,000. If you want to be conservative, just stay with 5,000. From thousands of people, they get reduced down, reduced down, and reduced down. And this pattern continues. If, if you go all the way to Acts, as Jesus ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples to wait there for him. How many are there? How many are with him at the end? 120. So from thousands of people interested in this buzz and this, this, this guy who could do these miracles all the way down to 120. But those 120 are not merely fans. They're not just a crowd. They've been transformed. They've been forever changed. They've been forever absolutely transformed by the, the realization and the actual news that Jesus Christ once was alive, walking on this earth, living a perfect life, and then we saw him. We know he died. We saw him be taken off the cross in a dead body and, and taken to a tomb and laid there. And then three days later, we're seeing him again. He's alive. He has undone the order of death, the, the penalty. He has paid it. Like They have been forever changed by that, so much so they don't know what's coming next, but they know that it must be about Jesus. They know that their life can't go back to normal. So they're waiting. And Jesus says, y'all wait. Y'all wait. I'm going to send help. I'm going to send power. And you guys are going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the world. He says, y'all, you think we've lost. You think the campaign failed because it went from 20,000 down to 120? Just watch. Just watch because I'm about to light up the world with this 120. We sing, one of my favorite songs, we sung it last week, King of Kings. Says, and then the church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame. Right, and, he's, and that's after this ascension. The church of Christ is born, and the Spirit lights this flame. He tells them, wait, wait, you'll receive power. They're, they're there in the upper room, and all of a sudden, woof, like actual sound, actual movement of the Spirit, so much so that it's like tongues of fire, and, and God lights the flame that takes off throughout the whole world called his church. Now this gospel truth of old will not yield, will not faint. And it's continued. It's continued to burn. It's continued to grow all the way to you and I here in 2023, hearing the gospel, rallying around, changing lives, engaging in South Illinois, seeing marriages transformed, seeing uh, people give up their, their lives to, to, to serve others, seeing uh, people gather in a pole barn and praise the name of Jesus and their hearts be changed. All of that is what Jesus has had in mind. That's what he's come to do is to change a people that are not interested in merely material and flesh fleshly things, but rather a spiritual new birth, a spiritual appetite for things not of this earth, but out of this world that absolutely changes who we are. So that's the first question. Are you a part of the crowd or are you a disciple? He's going to go on in verse 27 to, to kind of move from the who to the what. Okay, so what does it mean when you're in that world? And he, call, he calls them to consider even further their efforts because they've made efforts to find him. They're, they've they're walked away. They've got duties back at house, but at, at their house that they've been doing, but instead they're pursuing Jesus. They're, they are giving themselves to some form of like, we want to be around this. We want to be a part of the show. So verse 27, he says, don't work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the, the Son of God. So, um, and, and, and the Son of Man will give to you, right? For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus is going to say, hey, don't spend your effort and your time and your life trying to get some stuff that just perishes. He says, I know why you're here. And it's not because you saw signs. Now, if you follow John, it, sometimes it sounds like people that are just there for the signs are, are perceived negatively. But, but Jesus keeps doing signs. Why? Because the signs are there for a reason. You think about what's the purpose of a sign. 
to point you to something else, right? The sign is there for a purpose. Um, I'm trying to think of like what's the most common sign. I, I thought about Lambert's, Lambert's Cafe, right? You get on the interstate and you see, you see Lambert's, you see home of the throat rolls, right? Um, and you start to, maybe you pull up the website, you see what they, man, they got all this food and it's awesome, right? Imagine me coming home, telling my kids, hey, I heard about this place. I saw this sign. There's this place in, um, in Missouri, in Sykeston called Lambert's. And like, I'm, I want to take you, I'm going to take you. Let's go. Like, so we load up. And imagine that I just load them all up, and then we go to the billboard. Like, look at it, y'all. Isn't it awesome? And kids are like, I mean, cool, Dad, but I don't think this was the point. Why? Because the sign's not the point. The sign's not the destination, is it? It's supposed to point us to something else. Right? If you just arrive at the sign for the sake of the sign, like you've missed the point of the sign. The sign isn't there to be the thing. It's not the substance. It's pointing us, telling us where we can find the substance. And Jesus says to them, you're not here because you saw signs, because if you saw signs, you'd be looking for the substance. But instead, you're here because you like the show. You're here because you enjoyed filling your belly with the bread that I created. So he says, hey, don't, don't spend your life looking for the next thing. We're going to talk about this more in the coming weeks. But what he's saying is, if you're not careful, you will give yourself over. This is the work that he's talking about. If you're not careful, you will give yourself over in a pursuit of stuff or a feeling, or validation, thing after thing after thing, and none of it will satisfy you, and your life will be over, and you'll have nothing to show for it. You will feel like you've given yourself over to the pursuit of vanity, which Ecclesiastes tells us. So Jesus is saying, hey, be careful. Don't work for food that perishes. Whenever you've been offered Food that is eternal. When you've been offered food that will not go bad. Don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that it endures to eternal life. He's, he's not just bashing them. He's inviting them to see something beyond their material sight and the, beyond what's right in front of them. He's lifting their gaze to see something greater. He's lifting their gaze to, to see this incredible news that is wrapped up in this next statement. But work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. What Jesus is saying is your pursuit, your craving, what drives you to do what you do, it comes from a hunger. It comes from a craving. And we all got it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 talks about how God has set eternity into the hearts of man. What does that mean? It means we are not satisfied until we get a glory that is beyond ourselves, a glory that is beyond this world even. We're going to talk about that in the, in the coming weeks. But, but, but Jesus is pushing them beyond the things of the flesh and into the things of the Spirit. And he's saying, because you're looking in a fleshly way only, this is what's making you miss the signs that are pointing you to a spiritual reality. So the purpose of the signs, the purpose of the meal, the purpose of the healings, the purpose of everything that Jesus did in the Old Testament, and is doing now presently in the flesh for these people to see, they're all pointing us to something greater. They're pointing us to the substance, which Jesus says is eternal life. And he says, where are you going to get that? Well, you don't have to work for it. You don't earn it. What, what happens? The Son of Man will give it to you. Jesus himself will give it to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Well, this is saying... Jesus is the one. He is the promise, period. He is the ultimate fulfillment, period. It's Jesus. Then they said to him, all right, well, 
what, what we got to do to get that? What, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Right? So, I, again, you see this over and over again. Jesus is inviting people. You see it at the woman at the well. Hey, if you knew who I was, you would ask for a drink because I got water that you drink it and you'll never be thirsty again. She's like, all right, you don't even have a, like a cup, bro. I don't, right? You see it over and over again. Here, same thing. Jesus saying, if you, like, you're laboring for the wrong thing, here's what you're actually longing for, and it comes from me. So they're like, all right, well, what do we got to do to get that? Sign us up. What's the deal? Give me the list. Give me the to-do list. I'll work on it. How do I get there? How do I earn it? What's the, what's the task? Jesus answered them, you got to believe. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. So they're going, all right, cool. How do we, how do we, how do we get on it? How do we get on this deal? What's the plan? I got to lose some weight. I got to be nice to my neighbor. Okay, what else? Jesus goes, no, no you got you to gotta believe. You got to believe on whom God sent. Because he told you he was going to send a Savior. And now he's here in front of you, and you're, you're missing it. You can't, you can't see that the signs are pointing you. He's just confronted them earlier, saying, listen, y'all are diligently studying the Scriptures, but you fail to realize that they're pointing you to me. They're about me. So how do you believe? How do you get the works, like the eternal life? What is the work of God? Believe. Some of you are here, and you're checking out Christianity you're, you're checking out, what, what, maybe Jesus could help me with my jacked up life. What do I, let me go to this church. Let me figure out what I got to do. I've seen these people. Maybe I got to act like them. Maybe I got to do this. I, I got to go to church. I got to give some money. All right, what else? What does it take? What, what does it take for God to show up and fix my mess of a life? How do I get, how do I get on his good side? Whatever. Jesus goes, you can't do it. Can't. Try all you want. Try to be good. Try not to be bad. New plan, new book, new podcast, new accountability, whatever. You can't. Can't do it. That should lead you to a point of desperation. And in that desperation, Jesus says, but I can't. And I did. Will you receive it? It's the work of God. How you get it is to believe on him who he sent. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So listen, this, is, it, this would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. They're so fleshly minded. They're so material. This is how they respond. Think about the context. These are the people that saw him feed 5,000 plus with a little bit of food. And then they followed him across the lake. This has not been a long time. And this is how they respond. So they said to him, verse 30, All right, so what sign do you do that we see and believe you? Prove it. Like, can you imagine? Like, all right, so how do we know you are, you know, right? Jesus, like, I got to be like, like, I don't walked away. I was like, I don't, you guys, like, come on. But this is their response. What work do you perform? So what's your deal? What, what, what's your purpose? What, how do we know that you're the guy that we're supposed to listen to? They go on. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, so they're quoting. They're like, all right, we know that God does, you know, he, he, he's done some things. He says that he will. So how do we know that you are whatever? And then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he's saying, you, you've missed the point. You're thinking, okay, Moses, we knew Moses was our guy because God, you know, we, got, we got this manna from heaven. So how, did we, how are we going to know you're the guy? Jesus has got to be going like, oh my God. I don't know, guys. How would you know that? You, anybody got the baskets still, right? Like, somebody showing the leftovers? Like, I would be so frustrated. But he, 
says to him, hey, listen, you've missed the point. It wasn't Moses. You're trying to find out if I'm your guy or not. So you're thinking, okay, well, how do we, how do we approve? He's saying, it wasn't Moses that gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my father that gave that gave them the bread, and it is my Father who gives the true bread from heaven. Again, he's saying, you missed the point of the manna. The manna from heaven was about God giving us our daily bread. Remember, Jesus said, we don't live on bread alone. What do we need? We need God. God is our substance. He is our sustenance. He is what we long for and what we need. And Jesus is saying, you're missing it. You're just wanting something for your flesh. God is offering you something for your soul, and you're missing it. It wasn't about Moses. It was about God giving you what you need. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It wasn't about the bread. It wasn't about the bread in the, old, in the Exodus, in the Old Testament. It wasn't about the bread, you know, yesterday, whenever I, I fed you jokers. Like, it wasn't about the bread. The bread was a sign. The true bread is the one that God sends down from heaven. The manna came from heaven. Jesus came from heaven, and he's here. Bread gives life. Bread is consistently a sign of life and sustenance in the Bible. Give us this day our daily bread. We're longing for what well, I need, that bread to survive. Jesus is saying, I am the bread that God sent down from heaven to give life to the world. And they go, all right, then give us this bread always. But he's not done. Much like the woman at the well, you remember she gets to this point, she's like, all right, give me that water then. And this is when Jesus tells her, all right, go get your husband. Yeah, about that. Right? Because he's got some deep work to do in her. He's got some deep work still to be done in these folks. But for today, I want, I want this to, to sort of uh, launch, like, launch us into some deep consideration about how we view church. Because when we bring fleshly lenses, worldly material lenses into our church experiences, it leads us to have some equally silly responses. You see, sometimes we want to sit back and laugh at these people or poke fun at their response. Like, how do they not get it? And here's the point of the Bible. We are those people. Okay? We are them. We consistently miss what Jesus is inviting us to. We consistently come into church and church experiences with our sights set way too low. And Jesus is saying, hey, will you, like, it ain't about that. Will you lift your eyes? See, he's telling them it wasn't about Moses. About Yahweh. Yahweh used Moses. It wasn't about Moses, though. You don't need a new Moses. You got Yahweh has come down from heaven himself to be the new Moses, the greater Moses. So we come into church so often and we have our sights set too low. We're asking questions like, well, was the preacher, was he entertaining? Was he funny? Was he relevant? How's he dressed? What about the music? Is it the style that I like? Was it the volume that I like? Did they sing the songs that I like, right? Selection, style, volume. What about the people? Did they talk to me? Did anyone invite me to lunch? These are the questions that we come into church experience when we have a fleshly, like, worldly view. Now, here's the deal. Do those things matter? They do. They actually do. And we are consistently trying to be a better church that absolutely communicates as clearly as we can with as much biblical relevance to the culture as we can. We absolutely want to do those things. We want to have music that is relevant to the cultural style that people can connect with that is deep. We want to have it a volume that's not offensive and not distracting. Absolutely. All of those things do matter. We want to be a people that are welcoming, that invite others in. However, your response... When your expectations don't get met, your response in church, when people or the church 
don't do what you think they should do or what you thought they would do or what you would like them to do. How you respond is pretty indicative of whether you're in the crowd or whether you're a disciple. What if we ask different questions about church? Disciple-like questions, not crowd-like questions. What if the questions were, hey, was Jesus praised? Yeah, but they just had a piano, or they didn't have any instruments, and they just had a, they didn't have a projector, old smelly hymnals. That guy was off key, whatever. Like, was Jesus praised? about the preacher? Was the word taught? Did that guy open the Bible and point us to Jesus? Were there people there who loved Jesus and, and welcomed me? Even if they weren't people that I, that I liked or they didn't do it quite how I wanted or were there people there that loved Jesus? Did they, did they, did they welcome me? If so, Man, that's a big old win. And, and if your response to those things is, yeah, but I really couldn't connect. Yeah, but I, it wasn't quite. Okay, I think the examination needs to take place more in your heart than it does with the church's presentations. See, this is what helps us Keep our sights up at glory and not down at performance. Because coming to church and expecting and longing for anything other than Jesus' good name glorified is, is the equivalent of us going and setting at the billboard of Lambert's instead of going and catching us a roll with molasses. And by throwing rolls at, at the billboard. Right, when we have our, our sights set too low, we miss out. So this, this is not unique to us. First generation Christians struggle with the same thing. Turn with me a few pages over toward the right, 1 Corinthians 3. We're going to read this as we wrap up. Uh, and, and so again, it doesn't take long. Uh, for, for these kinds of struggles to settle in to the, to the early church. Um, as Jesus' disciples are going and being his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the earth, they, they make their way outside of, 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 of Jerusalem and into Corinth, right? And it's a mess there. It's a cultural, diverse, morally messy place. And Jesus saves some people and gathers them together in the church. But some of this flesh, like this worldly mindset makes its way in. And Paul, who planted the church, spent months or even years with this church, loving on them, raising them up, raising up disciples and, and elders to lead them. Then he goes on to go plant elsewhere, to go do ministry elsewhere. Part of what I want us to see is that God using men and women for a season and then calling them to, to serve elsewhere is normative in the scripture. It is not indicative of God bailing on us as the journey that he has called me into a different role. Rather, it's saying, hey, y'all are tracking with some, with some things we see in the scripture. Don't fret, lean in. Okay? And so I want us to see that. And so when Paul's gone, he has to write back and sort some stuff out for him. So I'm just going to read this. I'll make some brief comments, but this is going to be our closing. And I want us to see ourselves in this, and I want us to hear the word from Paul to this church at Corinth. I want us to hear it right now in this moment. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to read the whole the short chapter. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Why? Because you're people of the flesh, infants in Christ even. So he's saying, I, I couldn't get to the deep things because y'all were still babies. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And even now, you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? 
For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now, this is not an indictment from me. You guys have respond with, responded with incredible graciousness to me. So this is, this is not that. However, I want this to check us in this moment, to be a check about where our hope lies and where our faith is. And, and are we rattled by this, this, this move and this news, or are we leaning in in eager expectation of what the Lord's going to do? So I, I want to let this speak to us. So he says, when, when somebody says, I follow Paul, or another says, well, I really like Apollos, this is the equivalent of saying, oh, who's preaching today? Oh, Paul, well, he's not my favorite. I really like Apollos. And y'all weren't here when Paul preached. He was awesome. And I get it. Those things are real. Y'all ain't the only ones that Mrs. Curtis is preaching. I love sitting under that dude, for real. I take men or women out to Snowbird, and we show up that first night, and Brody's not teaching. I'm a little disappointed. I want people to hear Brody, because I love him. I love how he communicates. I love his style, right? So I get this. However, building our Church and our, our, our gatherings on a particular personality is really dangerous for both that man, that personality, and the church. It's really dangerous. And it's not helpful in the long term. So Paul goes on, verse 5, he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. He's saying, don't get too big of an idea about a particular leader. Paul says, listen, I planted, I started this deal, but then Apollos watered. But whatever good is happening, God did that. God gave the growth. So it's neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters, they're, they're one. Each will receive his, his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field, God's building. So he's saying, you got, some of you here when Paul was, teaching every week. Cool, that was Paul planning. Some of you have been here since Apollos, and you like that better. Maybe there's a new guy. I don't know all the, the details that's going on, but he's saying, don't get the wrong idea about this guy or that guy. They're, they're simply, in a way, the hired help. God's called them to tend to what God really cares about, which is his people, the children, the, the field. He says, you, the church, are God's field, God's building. Pastors, leaders are simply called to be laboring. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master, I laid a foundation. Paul said, that was my work. When I came into Corinth, I had to lay a foundation for this church, and someone else was building on it. Paul had to be comfortable with that. Don't, you don't think Paul could have stayed in a particular city like Ephesus or Corinth and built a mega church? Instead, lays a foundation, walks away. Let each one take care how he builds on it. So they need to be serious about the work of ministry so that it's not about me, not about a platform, not about a brand. Why? No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, and it's Jesus. If it were preaching anything other than Jesus, there's danger there. But he says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will be revealed. One day we will know who was doing the work for the Lord and who was doing it for their own name. Why? Because when the Lord shows up, it'll be a refinement by fire, and those things that have been about Jesus will remain. The people, the churches who have labored to make much of Jesus, that work will remain. The people who have labored to make much of themselves, the people who have labored to get some consumeristic feel-good know-how out of a church, it's gone. It's gone. If, verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know, church, that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you, you, Journey Church, are that temple. 
This is incredible news. Let no one deceive himself. Don't, don't get the wrong idea about the, the guy that's called up here or, or your, your, your roles down there. If anyone among you thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours. Let no one boast in men. Let no one boast about their pastor. Let no one boast about their leader, their guy, their whatever. Why? Because you've already got all things. All things that are of value have been given to you in Christ Jesus. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the word of life or death or present in the future, all are yours. And you, Journey Church, are not Jordan's. You are Christ. You are Christ's people. And Christ is God's. Jesus is going to go on in the next part of chapter 6 to say, part of my mission, I ain't going to lose anybody that's God brought, that God brings into my hands. I ain't going anywhere. I got them. We sang all kinds of songs this morning about, he's got us. You're here, you don't know Jesus. Saying about, it doesn't matter who's standing up here. He has made a way for you to receive salvation. Don't walk out of this room seeking anything less than that. Instead, would you receive that? Because he's given it to us. For those of us, that, and we know Jesus, let's firmly situate and plant our hearts in him. I'm going to send some emails this week. I'm going to invite us as a church to uh, fast for at least lunch on Wednesdays and pray for our church. You can fast more if you want. Some of y'all missing one meal is like JV stuff, so that's cool. Fast the whole day. But when we just take a moment on Wednesdays, and instead of answering our body's call to put some food in, we let that remind us that we need Jesus, not a charismatic pastor. We need Jesus. So let's pray that he'll refine our desires when it comes to church. And let's pray that he'll meet our needs when it comes to church. Let's pray now. Father, I'm grateful that you love us like a father. Uh, and you know, because you know better than us, you don't give us all the desires of our hearts. Instead, you give us what is good for us, the desires of your heart. And you love us well. And so I pray that in this season that we would have incredible faith in you. And that our, our faith would be strengthened as we see you provide. And as we examine our own hearts in this time of transition. And in these prayers that you would refine our desires when we come into spaces like this, and instead of having low-sided uh, evaluations, would we be craving, longing for your name to be glorified? And however that happens, we leave here stoked because you, Jesus, are good. And you are on the throne. You ain't never resigning, Jesus. You ain't never getting called to anything else. You are our faithful Savior. And you who who began this good work will continue it to the end. We place our faith and our hope and our trust in you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.